Good morning. Oh, you're very interactive. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, thank you for that warm welcome. Uh, <laughs> all right, there we go. That's what I'm talking about. And you're going to feel insecure for about 20 minutes, but don't worry about that. I've done those. Um, my name's Todd. I'm one of the pastors out at a church called Cascade Church in Monroe. Are you familiar with where Monroe is? Okay, yeah, many of you know that it's uh, kind of referred to as West Leavenworth, because everybody likes Leavenworth, so that's where I'm from. Uh, it's somewhat Bavarian, it's beautiful, there's a prison, um, we love it there, it's beautiful, and if you ever get into trouble, you know we're, you don't have to leave home very much, so, uh, so my wife and three kids are here, this is Kim over here, Reagan, Jackson, and Carter, and uh, yeah, give it up for them, why not? They were nice enough to come listen to me preach. They slept in today. Didn't go to our church. They just slept in and didn't go to first service here either, just tattling. So it's uh, uh, a, few, a few months ago, a couple months ago, Jake was worrying, uh, worrying, he was working on this sermon series, and one of the topics he decided he would do is uh, one on truth, and he had kind of a buffet of things that his speakers could choose from, and I, I thought, well, I, I kind of tell the truth. I'd like to do the one on truth, and he was kind of like, Thank you, because I didn't really want to do that one, um, which is cool. And the, the reason is because um, I have, as, as I've been growing in my faith, really since a little boy, I've been trying to tell the truth, and sometimes too bluntly. Um, I remember I was on a, it was a Sunday morning, and it was fifth grade, I was 10 years old, and, and I learned about Jesus. And they, what they told me was that if you don't accept Jesus, you will surely go to hell. And that you've got to share this with others. And so I remember as a fifth grader, I, I just going uh, to my classroom on Monday morning, all fired up. And I was looking for my victim, the person I would tell. And I remember seeing Danny Rohde over there. And he was by the encyclopedias, which for the younger people, those are super big books. <laughs> and there's a set of them. And you could buy these and they would sit on your shelves. Anyway, so, the, but I remember he was overlooking in the encyclopedias because we had to do these terrible presence reports. And I just, I said to Danny, I said, Danny, are you a Christian? And Danny said, no. I said, well, you are going to hell. <laughs> and Danny said, I don't think so. I said, no, for real, if you don't say yes to Jesus, then you're going to hell. And he just kind of got up and walked away. I'm like, how insensitive. <laughs> I don't believe this. So I had some sensitivity training with how I would communicate truth. And so over the years, I've, I've learned a few things. I mean, maybe some of you have had somebody kind of ask you a question, and then when you offered your suggestion, it was just unwelcome. Has this ever happened to you? Yeah, this happened with a friend of mine. He was dating this girl, and, uh, and we had them over for dinner. And as he, we were interacting, she was like super unkind to him. She was like, basically, he was the dumb butt of every joke. It's just not, not very good. And then it, after dinner, he said to me, he says, what'd you think? <laughs> and I'm like, well, she's, she's kind of cute, but she's, she is horrible. She's a horrible person. <laughs> and uh, I said, you should, you should be patient and wait until you get a better one, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so when he got married, uh, I wasn't invited. And the, the friendship was over. So um, sometimes the consequence, when someone says they want to know the truth, they actually want you to say what they want you to say. Not actually the truth. Uh, and then probably one of the things I will never do again that I've kind of learned throughout life, and some of you will find this helpful because uh, you're not 
you haven't made this mistake yet. Um, but to try to be accommodating, and now that I'm a pastor, I'm like trying to connect with people, right? And, and so I have uh, met a couple of ladies in my lifetime that I believed were about to have babies. And so being sensitive and caring about the human race, I would say to said lady, when is your baby due? Which they took as an insult because the, both of them, a couple years apart, were not having a baby. So now I have a strategy, and I'm just going to give you a little strategy. This will be helpful to you. You see somebody, and you think you're going to say something like this because you're trying to be accommodating and loving. What you want to say is, what's your favorite IPA? <laughs> That's a beer. And if they say, if they say I'm not drinking because I'm pregnant, then you go, oh, no way. <laughs> great. That's great. Congratulations, you know. So there you have it. Uh, you're like, I, we actually came to church to hear about Jesus. What are these stories, you know? Um, Jesus knows that we need help communicating truth. He knows it because when he made us, he, he looked at us and he's like, you guys are funny. You're like, you keep saying things that are funny. And so he, through the Apostle Paul, communicates some truth that we'll look at today. And uh, I love this. Uh, I love this passage that we'll be in. But we'll look at really three things this morning. The first one is our personalities, because we all tend to communicate through our personalities, and we have a specific way that we are comfortable communicating truth uh, that's more natural for us. And then we'll look at culture and culture's understanding of truth and some of its doctrine around truth. And then we'll look at Christianity and some of our ways and our doctrine for Christ followers and our our view of truth. So in doing that. We, uh, we will be heading into Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. And this, this section of scripture is uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty helpful. There's a ton of stuff in it. In fact, I feel like Jake did last week when Jake, Jake said that, you know, humility, he felt like he could do another week on it. This is a big, lofty, lofty topic. And truth is like that, too. There's just so many ways you can go with this. But Paul has very specific words to this early church. And as he talks to this early church, he, uh, he communicates with it about it, how it's supposed to communicate with itself, what kind of truth it's supposed to have to itself. And uh, so as we, uh, as we jump into Ephesians today, let me give a little context around it. First three chapters of Ephesians are really all about the glory of God, what Jesus has been to us. And he's talking to the early church, and they're celebrating this idea of new salvation. So that's chapters one through three. And then in chapters four through six, where we'll hang out, and four primarily, um, he explores the gospel story of Jesus and really who we are and how, what our doctrine should look like in that and how we are to deal with each other inside that. So uh, it's very helpful for us. The one thing that we see in here that is, is always helpful to the church is that he encourages not uniformity, but unity. The church in its truth and how it talks to each other and how the church talks to itself is all about bringing about more unity. That's the fruit and the fruiting of truth is more unity. Uh, and sometimes we think that uniformity is the goal. It's really not. Um, you look around the room and you're like, man, you know, I look around the room and I see people that are like totally different. And, and yet what the Bible says about us is that we're made in God's likeness. And for us, that's very encouraging because that means that God has so many facets to his being and, and maybe encouraging to you. So before we hop into the scripture, one last thought. Like this, this uh, early church in Ephesus was really kind of in this 
Greek and Roman worship of false gods. That's what they were, uh, that's what they were into. And I kind of look at it like the West Coast. Uh, we kind of are at the extreme of many belief systems and uh, many false gods. Whether those false gods for us are money or who's in kingship over our lives or who's in authority over us or how we treat our bodies, uh, these become false gods very easily for us. So Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. He says this, Paul says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully with one another, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not let the give, the, give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but he must work doing something useful with his hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that is, which is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and among all, every form of, al- of malice. Of Alice. <laughs> be, yeah, if your name is Alice this morning, I am sorry. We have to get rid of you. Be, <laughs> be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. So, in order to help illuminate what this early church was, was going through in Ephesus, we can go to 1 Timothy, and we're going to just dive into a little portion of 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7. This will help illuminate what you just heard, um, but it's when Paul is talking to Timothy, and it says this, it says, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. And he's talking, these certain people are in the church. And it goes on to say, verse 4, or devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. Now, Paul warns Timothy of this because in an early church, and like your church is kind of a new church, it's a new expression of church, is that we have got to be vigilant in the kind of doctrine that is taught from the stage and the kind of doctrine you teach from your neighborhoods and your workplaces, that that doctrine would fall in line with God. Then verse 5, it says, the goal of this command is love. As you're teaching the doctrine of the Bible, your goal is love as well. It's love which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. So as we go through this one another, this one another, how we are truthful with one another, we'll look at personalities, culture, and Christianity, the first one, personality. So there is um, one of the things I've noticed about our personalities is that they tend to be different. Um, I found this to be true when I married Kim. Um, She has something that, and I've kind of cleared this with her, uh, but she has something that she does, and she has tried to teach me as, as her student that is a, a positive sandwich. Is anybody familiar with what a positive sandwich is? Okay, you guys, very good. How many of you are using it? Put your hands in the air. Okay, so here, here's how the positive sandwich works. It goes like this. You have something negative to tell somebody because they have a, you've got something negative to say, and you have these. <laughs> and what you want to do before you say a negative thing is, is say some nice things first. So that's the positive part. And then, and then the middle of the sandwich is the negative part or the truth you want to communicate. And then at the end, it's positive again, right? So how many of you guys are using this and they're going for you, well for you? Super. That, you want that friend right there. What I have is different. 
Because Kim would use these and I would be like, wait a minute, you know, I don't, I don't actually truth like that. I truth differently. Uh, I have a, what's called a negative sandwich, uh, ironically. <laughs> it's, uh, it's more like I give the negative. I'm clear about it. I give the negative. I'm clear about that. And then I'm giving the negative again. And, and so you have no question about where I stand. And that's probably how we should communicate. But Paul actually has some thoughts for us too and how we should communicate truth because he says in this, these four things really quickly through that First Timothy passage, he says that, that when we're communicating truth, love has to be the foundation of it. Love is the focal point of truth. So when you're communicating truth, it's not to be mean-spirited or to get at somebody, but it's because you're motivated by love. The second thing he says is that we are supposed to have a pure heart and that that pure heart is really also a part of that unique foundation. That might mean that your motives aren't for self-seeking, but you're actually caring and you're concerned for that person because you absolutely love them. That means that if you have unforgiveness in your heart, it's not always the best time, probably not the best time to communicate truth, especially hard truth with somebody. You've got to have a complete uh, series of forgiveness where you're, where you're clear before you're bringing some, some clear truth. And then could, good conscience. Good conscience can kind of be like um, if you are maybe hypocritical or drawn to being hypocritical, maybe you have kind of a plank in your own eye, but you want to remove the speck from someone else's eye, you know, it, it, you'll have a clear conscience if you can first stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to say some truth to this person. I love them dearly. They're inside the church. I love them. I care about them. How, how do I communicate it? I mean, that's a good conscience because you're spiritually ready to communicate truth. And then lastly, he says, to have a sincere faith. Now, this sincere faith actually gets into some of what we would call doctrine, that your faith would be such that it's built on the Word of God, that you would be saying, okay, my life from now on is built and under the authority of Jesus. So everything that he says, I'm down with. Now, I may not be ready for all those, and they may not be perfectly lived out in me because there's something called sanctification that is slowly me turning away from my sin. As much as I get it identified by God, I'll turn away from it. So that brings about doctrine and a ability to read the word and through the lens of the word we start to see what what our lives are now some of you are like well I actually don't like I'm not a churchy like you are because you're up there bible looking actually you have a tablet so you're not very churchy but you know what is this what is this doctrine thing you know uh doctrine is is this it's uh it's it's something that that uh first Timothy or second Timothy will list in 215 I'll read you this verse and then we'll talk about the definition but it says this says Paul says this to Timothy, his young protege, says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, I believe that you, primarily, many of you are Christ followers here today. That's probably what's drawn you to be a part of this exciting church. And so that means that your goal as a Christ follower is to learn how to rightly handle the word of truth. That's, that's part of what we do. That's part of the doctrine that we pick up on that, that takes and puts itself in the primary seat uh, as our authority. So doctrine in the Webster, like in the dictionary, is this. It's, it's uh, something that is taught or it's a principle or position or a body of principles in the branch of knowledge, a system or belief, okay? So what you see there, what you don't see there is anything Jesus, right? There, the definition very much means that those around you in culture have some kind of doctrine that they live by. There's a system of beliefs. 
And we are fools to think that people don't live by a system of belief. If you're in the public school system these days, you will see that that system of belief is actually systematically taught. And you'll see the doctrine of that happening. So Christians are not the only ones who have doctrine. Uh, but in our doctrine, it is essential that we have sound doctrine. That our doctrine is built on the foundation of the Bible. Your opinion is valuable. It's very valuable. However, if, it, if it's not the opinion of Scripture, and if you're off Scripture, then your opinion is bad. And it, it's really not the goal of what your opinion is. So we always subject, even our greatest opinions and our strength of, of moxie in our opinions, we submit those to Scripture and say, I process it through that, and I've got to find out how I can be subservient to Scripture, how I can to God. So back to Ephesians 4, 4.25. says this. says this, as we look at culture and its doctrine, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully with one another, for we're all members of one body. I love the Bible. I love the Bible. And the, one of the primary reasons I love it is because it always puts in front of me something lofty that I feel like I cannot attain. Um, and, it, and that's true. I mean, if we're to speak truthfully with one another, there is a great amount of ambition in many of us that would say, I don't actually want to speak truthfully. Um, I would rather live in, the, in their lie uh, because I, I just don't want the conflict or the tension. Um, and yet we're called with the help of the Holy Spirit, to speak truthfully with one another. And we are completely capable of it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So in culture, we also have our champions of doctrine that are not Christ-following uh, champions. Like, for example, you know, Friedrich Nietzsche. I remember I went to a Christian college. And, uh, and I, I remember having to study him in philosophy and, and just being like, why do I have to study him? He's this atheist and he just has all these, you know, terrible thoughts in my mind, and, and now I'm going to quote him to you because he has something profound to hear for you to hear. Okay, you ready? He was, by the way, he was born in 1844. He was a German philosopher. He was, the, he was kind of a skeptic, but he's also a cultural critic and, and poet. He's a pretty interesting guy. But he said this. He said, there are no eternal facts just as there are no absolute truths. There are no eternal facts just as there are no absolute truths. So um, I think that's funny, um, primarily because he's stating a fact. <laughs> How embarrassing, right? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate it when I say something wrong. Uh, it's kind of like gravity. Um, I, I did this example for service. It was, I don't know, oh, I do have something. Um, I'm going to show you guys how gravity works. Um, this is an absolute truth. We have gravity. We're all, how many of you are feeling pushed down by this stuff? <laughs> right, it's horrible. Watch this, but watch. I, I'm going to demonstrate it. Are you watching the paper? <laughs> right? Right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that was uh, gravity. Um, you know, when you look at culture, there are a lot of things that are happening in culture that we would all go, wow, I actually don't get that. And it doesn't even pass the logic test. If there are no absolute truths, then what just happened with that piece of paper? What is that? It, relativism is also an area for us to, as we are always interacting with those around us, we have to understand that it's a part of the culture. It's a part of the doctrine that is in our culture. 
But relativism is this. It's the idea that our views are relative to differences in perception and consideration. Really, what relativism will, will say to us is that there is no universal objective truth, only that which is its own truth. So, for example, if I were to walk into your hat, or if I walked into your hat, which maybe you have a huge hat, right? <laughs> and inside your hat, there sat a cat. Oh, this is getting good. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> and I looked at your cat inside your hat, and I said, nice cat. And you said to me, no, that's not a cat. And uh, it's an elephant. And I looked at you and I go, what are you talking about? You're like, no, I mean, I'm a, I'm a child of relativism. Uh, that's my truth, man. That's my cat inside my figurative hat, right? <laughs> that is what relativism is. And so we see this play out in culture and we see this and we're like, uh, it's like, are you seriously believing this? But as Christ followers, what we are not in the position of is throwing rocks over the wall of culture and basically beating up on culture and saying, culture, you're just wrong. You're just goofy. You're just crazy. You're just, let, let, me, just, let me just overlay some legalism onto you. I don't actually expect Friedrich Nietzsche uh, or others who would be non-Christians to live by a Christian standard. What I do expect is that Christ followers would live by a Christian standard, that we would say, come on. I'll live under the word of God. I'll do it. I'll do it. Is it hard for me? You bet it's hard for me. Of course it's hard for me to live under the word of God. There's things I actually want to do that I don't get to do. And there are things I fortunately get to do with help of the Holy Spirit that he helps me do. And for all of us, that's, that's important. But we don't, we don't look at culture as, as someone to throw rocks at. Our position and our posture with culture is to love culture, love those around us. That they would ultimately listen to the very truth that we have. That Sometimes we're speaking in their faces because we're being what we is. Um, I'm sorry, my mom was a grammar teacher. Uh, so I say things in order that she'll listen to the podcast and be frustrated by me. But it's important that Christ, Christ followers will be what they is. If you're a Christ follower, then you just be what you is. You know what I'm saying, right? You're like, yeah, I get it. Be what you is. Yeah, here's what I'm saying is that you love Jesus, so be what you is. That means everywhere you go, like you just pray anywhere you go. You pray for your coworkers because you're being what you is. That's just how it works. You know, you can't get away from it. You open the Bible sometimes in your workplace because that's how it works. You're just loyal, more loyal to that than other books. Who knows why? You just be what you is. And my mom is rolling over in her future grave. So... G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, fallacies do not cease to be fallacies because they're not in fashion. Fallacies do not cease to be fallacies because they are, oh, I'm sorry. I read that totally wrong. Because they've become fashion. Let me just read that again. Can you guys delete? Let's go back. Fallacies do not cease to be fallacies because they become, oh, my goodness. No, that's right. That's because they become fashion. Can, is it possible, can you become dyslexic while you're preaching? <laughs> it's actually happening right now. All right. All right, anyway, I think you know what I'm saying. Fallacies, of, they can easily become the new black, can't they? How's that? Is that better? All right. Uh, so our goal in culture is 
is always to be telling them about the truth of Jesus, what he's done for us, the oral tradition of what he's brought about in us, the miracles he's done in us and through us and is continuing to do for us, how the Holy Spirit is attending to us. That's, that's the beauty, his forgiveness for our sin and the powerful, powerful purpose that you now live in because you're a Christ follower. And that is, that is being what you is. So if we go to Ephesians 4.25, we, say, we see this, that, that if we put off falsehood and we speak truthfully, that is really being what we is. That's who we are. We're meant to live that. We can live that. So in third, Christianity. And Christianity really has this different, different cadence of truth. Um, sometimes we're not as polite with each other as we have to go after truth and we have to go after sin with each other. Um, but inside Christianity, there are some cadences of truth that we see emerge every once in a while. And that is maybe one of those false doctrines that we can live under is that Jesus is here to make my life happy. He's somehow an additive to me. And that if, if I just have him in my life, he'll make me happy. While all the time he's been here to help make us holy. And our happiness is somewhere, some other time. Uh, that, that the Bible, some of us will, will be given to the idea that the Bible is something of a buffet that we can pick from, the food we want. Um, you know, and, and we basically choose what we want and then, and then we don't come under. And what true Christianity would really be is that we would say, Okay, I'll come under authority of the whole word of God. Now, are some of those difficult for me? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. But I'll come under God's authority because I have a relationship with his son because he's redeemed me. Um, some of us will be given to the thought that, that somehow God is here to bless us. And uh, that's his primary agenda in us. And that our pain is, is not really something that he wants for us. That's a false doctrine. Uh, God does amazing things through our pain. It is through the pain in my life that he's gotten the best fruit. It is from some of the pain in Jake's life that this church is a leave, living, breathing organism here today. You see, he, he works in our pain. And as we submit to him in that, he gets to us because we're so, our ears are open. C.S. Lewis said that, that pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And isn't that true for us too? And we are listening very clearly when he speaks to us through pain. Cultural Christianity, uh, another false doctrine, just kind of this idea that because you live in America or you were born here, somehow you're Christian or you're Republican, so you're a Christian. I don't know. There's a bunch of funny ones out there. Um, there are things to get rid of that Paul goes after in this passage. In Ephesians 4.31, he says this. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. For all of us, as we forgive others, we know that we're doing what has already been done to us. And as we, uh, as we are living out the overflow of a life with him where he's forgiven us and he's redeemed us and he makes us new, uh, we want to share that with others. We can't not. Uh, so for, for many of us, as we lean onto the absolute truth of Scripture, we find some friction points with culture. And that's just a normal thing. But most of the time, I think the most friction points I find are with those inside the church to the very people Paul is writing to. It's people who don't want to give up their sin, yet will call themselves a Christ follower. So there are a few things that we can conquer together. One of those would be that 
if, if you're one of those people that's like, hey, I won't point out your sin if you don't point out my sin, um, maybe you would just say, today I, I conquer that. I, I, I'm going to begin to carefully, lovingly point out sin when I, when I see it in, in my brothers and sisters. And then the idea, we crucify the idea of my truth, and we actually get rid of that idea, and we come under the shared truth of the Word of God. So now it's, now it's shared truth that we collectively have as a body. Let me close with a, a story this morning uh, that points to the truth. Um, I had a friend recently that I've been hanging out with for about a year, and he was one of those that uh, wasn't a Christ follower. And I just, over time, I've just been talking to him, and I just realized that like, we kind of like hanging out with each other. So I bought him a Bible, and he's just been coming to church, you know, but, but very much coming to church and saying, I'm not a believer, which I totally respected. I love that he wasn't going to, like, play the, the game. You know what I mean? Um, and so really about three, four weeks ago, he, he came up to me, and he's like, hey, Todd. He's like, uh, I want to be baptized. I'm like, why? You know? <laughs> like the, I understand baptism, right? <laughs> and he goes, well, he's like, I've been like listening and while well, I've had many questions that are unanswered and I'm like, by the way, me too, but I don't have all my questions answered. He says, I feel like I have enough questions answered that I can now put my faith in Jesus. And I go, so you want to be baptized? Okay. Amazing. Amazing. So we're there down at Lake Ty and we, uh, before we dip Tanner into Lake Ty, he's really sick now because of Lake Ty. Right? <laughs> it's not true, not true. <laughs> Before we dip him down there, he says this to the crowd of people. There's about 50, 60 people gathered around. He said, um, the closer I got to the truth of Jesus, the more convicted I was of my sin. I didn't feel worthy to come to him. And he said it was the weirdest thing because I wanted to follow him, but I also felt so dirty from my life. And uh, he said, but what I've discovered is that he'll meet you halfway. And, uh, and that's why I'm giving my life over to him. I just thought that was so sweet. Such a great picture of truth. Uh, as we engage in the truth with one another, it is, it is always going to reveal something in us that we don't necessarily want revealed. And that is us trying to push down the old life and bring about this new life that Paul talks about. So let me pray for us.